was interested in in how people kind of live between this space between the land and the sea um within their daily life and how it kind of influences their worldview and whatever they're doing and mm. then i came up uh or i came across this this famous anthropologist tim ingold and he says um or he kind of asks uh what if instead of landing the sea we try seeing the land so this was kind of my biggest in- inspiration mm. to not look at uh what the sea means to surfers because i think there are a lot of people who've done that before in different kinds of forms maybe videos or or blog posts or whatever but i was mainly interested in how do they by taking a step away from the land see what's happening on the land hello saltwater hi double d here coming at you from oha california Today I have Kira Lenting with me on the podcast straight from Holland. Kira is an anthropologist who mixes art and anthropology and of course she's a surfer. Amazing. We had a great conversation about her thesis which centered around her study of the surf culture in Australia. Super interesting. She actually was um, in the Gold Coast for three months and did a study of what that surf culture is like from an anthropological point of view, which I, I just love this conversation. We had a lot in common and we, we came up with some fantastic questions that I think we all think about as surfers. And Kira is currently on tour in southern France and northern Spain, specifically southern France in the in the Osgore area, Massange and below Bordeaux and kind of that whole stomping ground, which I actually know really well and, and, and I love. So if you are, happen to be in southern France in the next several weeks, please check out Kira's um, pop up where she is promoting a book that she wrote about her experience in Australia. We all love a good surf book, don't we? Yes, we do. So if you can't make it to Southern France, please check out the show notes for a copy of her book. You might want to grab her book, which I got a sneak peek at and it's really cool. Very cool. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Kira Lenting talking about anthropology, Australia, and art. Saltwater High. Today I have Kira with me. Welcome, Kira. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast, I'm in California and you are in Holland. Is that correct? That's true. I'm in Utrecht. <laughs> I don't Utrecht. Know yes, I, I actually know Holland pretty well. That's a whole oh, other no. story. But yeah. Um, so where is your like local surf spot? Uh, it's called uh, Scheveningen. Okay. <laughs> it's actually a kind of a, a joke we make in the Netherlands to tourists. Um, we always ask them to say Scheveningen because it's kind of hard to pronounce. <laughs> Super hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually surfed um, Sanford. Yes. Stanford. Yeah. That Sounds beautiful good. beach. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful beach. 
So yeah, I think we my... have the best waves in, in Scheveningen because we have a pier there and then it okay. comes in a bit better. But yeah. um, if we have some good swell, Sandford is nice as well. Um, but nice. it's just a little bit less protected. Yeah. And how cold would it be in the winter? <laughs> Very cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like freezing. You will get like this um, brain freeze whenever you uh, get under water. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we still go because yeah. the waves are the waves are best in winter. Actually, in summer it's kind of flat. Yeah, last time I was in Amsterdam, I was you know in the middle of Amsterdam, and I saw these two guys on scooters with surfboards under their arm, and I was like, <laughs> "Where are they going to surf from Amsterdam? Is there what's the closest place in Amsterdam?" Well, I think it would be Sandford. Oh, okay, it would be then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So let's talk about anthropology. I saw yeah. you you studied anthropology, and you're an anthropologist, I guess you could say. How would you define anthropology? Um, I think it's like the study of um, cultures and subcultures and uh, societal mm. issues. But then you could also think that would be like social science, right? But um, mm. what differs uh, anthropology to other social sciences is our methodology. Um, so we do everything with uh, qualitative research methods. So we do nothing with statistics or numbers or anything. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So we, what we do actually is we um, use the methodology of participant observation. That's the way we call it. And um, we go into the subculture we study and we try to participate within their daily life and get to know their worldview or their um, specific thoughts on, on different topics. And mm. uh, that's the way we, we gather our data. So, um, yeah, you could actually study every subculture you're interested in but it's just the way we do it that differs or that makes a difference to other social sciences. Yeah. yeah. And so how do you think the anthropologist prevents um, tainting the observation, you know, not projecting their own worldview onto the worldview that they're observing? I mean, that must be a really hard thing, right? That's a very good question, actually. And there is a lot of discussion about this within anthropology, of course, because we, as a person, are our own research uh, methods. Um, and there are different kind of ways to do so. So we always uh, reflect on everything we do. <laughs> so that's like mm. an ongoing thing. And um, we, we, as anthropologists, we try to um, kind of step back from uh, whatever we are, whatever we think, and try to let the others speak. And then, mm. of course, afterwards, we, we kind of analyze what people said or what people think. Mm. Um, and then we connect that back to bigger uh, social con uh, concepts. So there's like um, a bridge between like a meta level of thinking and kind of what's going on at the ground. Mm. And why did you choose anthropology personally? <laughs> well, I have a background in art 
and mm. um, I actually first did art academy and I uh, graduated as a social designer and as a social designer at the art academy we try to make like design and art for societal issues but then mm. we didn't research them we only kind of looked at it very shallow so maybe we read a news article and then we thought we knew everything about it um, and then my my teacher she was an anthropologist and she uh, kind of showed me the way anthropologists look at societal issues and, and problems um, and she gave me some books to read and then I started to kind of fall into um, yeah I kind of acknowledged that I didn't know anything about social issues <laughs> while mm. I was a social designer and mm. then I just wanted to know more about more legitimate ways of researching Mm. social issues and that's how mm. i got into anthropology mm. it seems like a really nice um synergy between the two right because the more you understand something probably the better you can express it through the art right yeah um, exactly yeah. and that's where so, i am at right now yeah. actually <laughs> yeah very cool and so social design i'm not familiar with what that person like what is how does that show up in the world the social designer mm. Well, it can be kind of everything, but mm. uh, the basis of a design, it could be, do you know, maybe, maybe you know the um, solar lamp, Wakama or something like that. Okay. And yeah. uh, it's also made by a social designer and he saw that there are problems in uh, areas like Africa where people don't have light, but they have a lot of sun. And then he came up with a design of a so solar lamp. Um, to help them out. So he kind of Got made a design it. for a societal issue. Um, so I think it's mm. kind of more relevant <laughs> art and design, <laughs> if you could yeah. say so. Um, so it's kind of, it's design, it could be designing products or like you've designed a book, right? It, designing ideas that, um, maybe addresses or exposes social issues, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good, very cool. Good way of saying it. Yeah. I don't, in America, I don't know. I don't know if we have any thing like that, right. That, you know, um, but I, I love the idea because, you know, as a business owner, when I'm making products, basically I'm making products to, um, to solve a problem, right? Like a, a surfboard bag solves the problem of getting your surfboards from point A to point B in a way that is safe and, you know, uh, stylish or however that shows up, right? So I guess a social designer would also be doing that, but in a more maybe humanitarian level, right? Like you said, the Africa idea. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe the only thing that differs is the economic uh, part of it that maybe the social yeah. designer does not always want to make money out of it mm. um, where, where where you are a business of course that's part of what you do um, but I think in in a way what you do um, with the board bags it could be seen as social design as well mm. yeah I love that I'm going to put that on my Instagram social designer <laughs> Derek does <laughs> very cool very cool so you 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 went to Australia and you studied with this anthropologist. Tell me about the anthropologist that you studied with. 
Well, actually, I, I did the research by myself. So oh, you did? Was, okay. Yeah, there was not an, another um, anthropologist there. But, of course, it was part of my um, master's studies here. Um, so, yeah, I went there all by myself. I didn't know anyone. <laughs> wow. wow. And I only made up this idea of what I wanted to do uh, from home, from Utrecht. Okay. And what was the thesis or the 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 premise of what you were looking at? I mean, seeing the land. I just, I love the way you put those phrases together. You know, seeing, obviously, it's like a double entendre. You meant seeing the land, like you see it with your eyes, but then you use C-S-E-A-I-N-G. So tell me a little bit about how that all came about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was mainly interested in a, a community where surfing is part of the daily lives because here in the Netherlands, like we talked about it before, we don't have waves that often and um, it's not really part of our daily life. Um, whereas I think maybe where you are or at least where I went in Australia, it really was like part of the daily life. And so I was interested in in how people kind of live between this space, between the land and the sea um, within their daily life and how it kind of influences their worldview and whatever they're doing. And mm. then I came up uh, or I came across this this famous anthropologist, Tim Ingold, and he says, um, or he kind of asks, uh, what if instead of landing the sea, we try seeing the land? So this was kind of my biggest in- inspiration mm. to not look at uh, what the sea means to surfers, because I think there are a lot of people who've done that before in different kinds of forms, maybe videos or, or blog posts or whatever. But I was mainly interested in how do they, by taking a step away from the land, see what's happening on the land. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of, think that that was like my main inspiration to to kind of turn it around and call it seeing the land instead of landing Mm. the sea yeah that's really interesting because as surfers we we obviously live on the land unless you live on a boat i guess um so you know 95 percent of the of our lives is on land and though we have this incredible love and respect for the sea. Like if you were to ask me what, what the most important thing in my life is, I would say the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. It's been the most, most important, most present, most healing, most meditative part of my whole life. But it's, if I look at it from that perspective, it's such a small part of my total existence. You know, yeah. most of my exist. I mean, it probably even less than 5% if you, you know, put all the hours that I spend in the water. And I spend a lot in the water mm-hmm. um, compared to w- when I'm on land. But if you were like the thing that I'm most interested in is the sea. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I really love that perspective because it, you know, obviously what we do on the land influences what happens in the sea even though we don't spend that much time in the sea yeah and the other way around right yeah 
So to my, say a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of my, I, I really love that. Like one of my uh, research participants, or I, I would call them friends because I really, um, yeah, came close with them when I was there and I spent a lot of time with them. She described it as a figure eight movement. And I think that's a, mm. such a nice metaphor. She mm. said, like, it's like constantly cycling, you know, it's, it's whatever I do on land is like influencing how I feel in the water. Maybe I had a shitty day on the land because I had mm. to work all day and I get in the water and I surf bad as well because I'm stressed and I, I'm not relaxed. But then on the mm. other way, maybe surfing in the water makes me relaxing. Like the way you said, it's like a meditative thing. Mm. And Therefore, I will maybe have a good day on the land. Um, at the same mm. time, she also said it kind of uh, restricts each other. You know, you you want to be in the water, but then you have to be on the land because maybe you have to work or have other things to do. Uh, mm. But whilst you're on the land, you also feel restricted by the sea because you have this big passion for the sea and you want to go surfing as much as possible. So... <laughs> Yeah, this like this figure eight movement is, I think, a metaphor I use very often when I try mm. to explain the way the people I talked to when I was there uh, explained this way of of looking at this interaction between the land and the sea. I love that. I mean, that is also the symbol of affinity, right? Infinity is this the similar image. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So for me, it was um, as kind of being landlocked here in the Netherlands because I don't live right next to the sea. Uh, it was so inspiring to to talk to all these people and being able to talk to all these people because I was the anthropologist. Right. <laughs> I was. Um, I kind of had uh, the liberty to ask so many questions and just mm. listen to people and yeah, let them talk and. Um, so yeah, I, I really like these three months I spent there. So how did you, like, you know, you have this idea for the thesis, I guess, and maybe the book was part of that or it came later. How, you know, what was your process like in picking the community? Why why did you pick Australia? And then why did you pick that particular part of Australia? Mm-hmm. Um, I must say there was a lot of coincidence as well, part of it. Um, but I wanted to go, like I said before, to a place where uh, surfing is part of the daily life. So I think there were like um, several options, like maybe California would have been one, Hawaii and Australia. And then um, I had a friend who had a friend who had a house for me in Australia, mm-hmm. in Kulangeda, the, way, the place I wanted or which was on my list. And then um, I also wanted to go to a place um, which is kind of called like a surf mecca, which is like very famous for surfing. And of course, um, every year at Snapper Rocks, they they um, uh, start uh, a WSL tour. Um, so then everything kind of came together. And I, uh, the more I, I looked into it and the more I read about it and talked to people about it, I was like, yeah, this is the place I think I should go um, mm. because it's a kind of a contested place as well. You have a lot of surfers who, who want to be like living the surfing lifestyle. And then at the same time, it's also such a busy place and it's so, so famous. 
Um, and people kind of want to protect that. I think like every surf spot, the locals want to protect their surf spot because if they share it with too many people, too many people come in. Um, so yeah, I thought, uh, and it was a big guess though, uh, whether I should go there or somewhere else. But then in the end, it was just coincidence that brought me there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you talk about the locals and, you know, I think this is a, a particular theme that probably goes across many very popular places is, I mean, I even see it here where I live. You And now that surfing with COVID, I don't know what happened in Europe, but with COVID, so people couldn't travel, they couldn't go to, you know, national parks. So everyone started to surf. So we had this big surge in new surf, new surfers in, in California, which already had a lot. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, did you study or I'm sure you observed that I would call it the underbelly of surfing and localism at all, or did you kind of stay away from those aspects of, uh, Surfing. Well, yeah. in the end, I couldn't ignore it because it was something that came up many times. Mm -hmm. And um, Snapper Rocks, or where we surfed every day in Rainbow Bay, it was a very, very busy spot. I think I never saw something like that. So it, it was something that came up uh, quite often in conversations with people. Um, but I didn't want it to make it the focus of my research and, and what I mm. wrote about. But it is part of it, of course. And um, it also kind of showed another aspect, which our research is like more the capitalistic processes at stake in, in that place and also kind of uh, contesting this, this, this way of living between the land and the sea um, all these people did. So it was part of it, but I didn't want it to make it... Um, the biggest topic because mm -hmm. I think it is something that um, appears in, in many surf places around the world and it's not specific or um, how would you say that in English? It's not the, the most important characteristic of this place. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's human nature, right? If you, if you enjoy something like surfing and you've enjoyed that particular spot, for example, for years, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of people there, your enjoyment's going to decrease and, you know, there's going to be tensions and, you know, people will feel possessive, you know, I mean, it's just, we're in, in those circumstances, we're just seeing human emotion play out, right? The, the same emotions that they have on the land. Talk about seeing the land, right? So yeah. this, you know, just because somebody is surfing doesn't mean all of a sudden they're some Buddha, right? They're still, they're still going to carry all of their personal traumas and, you know, maybe their, their work, um, you know, difficulties and, you know, it, it can be a reprieve from those things and it can help. I think it can help us, uh, address a lot of those we'll call them land issues right yeah yeah but um you i always say you know usually you're the, you're you're probably 
you're the same person in the water as you are out, but you're probably a little bit high, like your higher self is maybe a little bit more elevated, you know, because <laughs> you're in the water, you're, you're the sea. But, you know, I've seen it in myself where um, there are parts of myself that come out, you know, that I was like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Um, yeah, yeah. People get very competitive at sometimes when yeah. they're not that many waves maybe and yeah I, I saw that there as well I mean I never surfed at such a high quality surf spot before I went there and um I was kind of used to some crowdedness <laughs> but like mm. compared to the crowd there it was it was nothing um so it was mm. for me it was very stressful in the beginning I was uh seeing all these kind of good surfers uh, having a high level of surfing and then I was there as a as a noob from from the Netherlands <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, uh, uh, it took me a while to kind of yeah get used to it and 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 mm. find my place in it um and yeah he, we talked about it a lot I mean also the land was changing and therefore the sea was changing because there were a lot of new uh hotel buildings built mm. of course then more people will come because the land could like um um yeah the land could kind of hold more people at the same mm. time and and therefore there will be more people in in the sea um so it was yeah. very related to each other mm. that's a great point as as the population rises in those areas or in any area it's a uh, part of that's going to spill into the sea for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why as, you know, surf travelers, like that's the one thing we try to get away from, you know, we try to go to these, you know, destinations that are, you know, islands in the middle of nowhere, or, you know, like I just got back from Mexico. I was in Mexico last week and um, you, you cross the border between America and Mexico and, you know, it's just, we're probably surfing an hour, you know, an hour from the most crowded places in, um, in America, trestles and all of those places we're surfing alone. Right. In, in just like just across the border. So exactly. Um, you know, I think, I don't know. I feel like this is such a big topic and, you know, as like for me, and I think there are a lot of surfers like this, I would rather surf a less famous or a less quality wave um, and have fewer people than, you know, fight for like two waves at a, a great spot. So, I mean, that's a great anthropological question too, right? <laughs> what, what keeps people, um, yeah, how, like, cause you, everyone has that, or not everyone, but a lot of people have the decision, right? I'm going to, I'll, I'll drive an hour north to uh, Mermaid Beach, right? Which is like 45 minutes probably from where you were. Yeah. Or south, if you go south. Or I'm just going to paddle out at Kira and fight the crowds. Like, that's got to be, like, what keeps people engaged in that fight or, or in that competition? I, I just don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe when yeah. you're young and full of energy and aggressive, you're just like, forget it. I'm just going to do it. Um, I would love I don't to know. research that. I, I yeah. love how you already turn into an anthropologist by talking. To <laughs> yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah, no, I love I I love anthropology. Also, I I love to observe, you know, 
life and myself and having been a surfer you know, and serve, I surf almost every day. I, obviously these are questions that are always on my mind, you know, mm-hmm. um, always things that I'm grappling with as somebody that's kind of looking at life, looking at my own life, looking at my own behaviors and also trying to create the most enjoyable life possible. Right. I mean, I think that's what we all want. We all want maximum joy. Like how do, like, how do I have the best day? Right. And if you're a surfer, that means, you know, for me, it's not fighting for two waves. It's like that, that for me is not, it's not, it's not high on my list, but it is for some people. So definitely how, like, what is the thing that's driving those people? That was a, such a good question. I mean, cause I, I don't know what it is. I don't know the answer either, but I think there are a lot of, Yeah. A lot of things that add up to this and and um it's also i think the for example where i was at, at like snapper rocks um people also told me it's such a famous kind of wave and and it's also kind of very hyped in in media and, and movies and mm. and everything that people have this great vision of it and people just travel there from all over the world to say uh, to serve that one wave it's kind of yeah. insane if you think about it um so i think there are kind of things going on that also drive people to all these famous waves and then you're in the water and then you're like oh but i really don't like it because there are too many others and i have to fight for these two waves um yeah but But you get to put it on your instagram page so that's what counts right (laughs) yeah i mean that's a weird thing you know i find it weird yeah yeah i i being like just studying human behavior from a social media aspect must be so so fascinating also because a lot of people just do things for that very reason right just to say that they've been there or they can show other people and and i I think that's a whole another chapter of anthropology right definitely and i think it's also that in the last decades we we saw that surfing cells you know um we we see that with people posting it on their own instagram page but we can also see that with brands which don't even have anything to do with surfing using Mm. a surfboard in their commercial um which is is weird in my opinion Um, but it's kind of something that got likable and 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 sellable um so now we see it all over everything and um maybe Mm. that's also something that that adds up to this crowdedness Mm. Hmm, interesting cool let's talk about the book so yeah. you do this you go there you do the research you must have been taking photos and writing so is it a is it a direct um is it part of your dissertation or is it kind of a side so how did that how did you come up with the idea first of all yeah <laughs> well um as i said before i'm next to being an anthropologist i would also call myself a designer artist and I always had the ambition to not only write something that goes into the academia, something behind locked doors and only like some professor read it and that's it. Yeah. Um, and I think the story I, I kind of captured there is something which I want to give back to the surfing community to make them think about hmm. uh, seeing the land, but also other things I, I, I write and talk about. So... Um, yeah, this kind of ambition and my background in art and design 
drove me to also take pictures and film whilst I was there next to doing what I had to do as an anthropologist. And then um, I wrote my dissertation, of course, and that um, I sent it to, to, to the university and that's what I had to do. Um, but I, it didn't felt like, I didn't feel closure or something. Mm. And I didn't feel like my anthropological text was something I could give back to the surfing community. So then I thought of, okay, what, what can I do? What else can I do? And, and what do I have? And my whole computer was full of photo and, and video footage. And um, I felt guilty of only having it on my computer and not sharing it mm. with anyone else. And then, um, yeah, I came up with this idea of, of turning it into a book, like a photo book with some small text in it to give some context. Um, and that's what I've been working on the last year, I think. Um, so it, there are parts of my thesis and dissertation in it, but it's mostly, I have it here. I can show it to you, but of oh, course, yeah. people listening to it. Like, people huh. can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's mostly photos with some small text mm. and fragments from interviews I did. And, um, Oh, and that is something I can give back to to not only the community I research, but also people outside the community which are interested in 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 seeing the land and and kind of getting to understand this, the surfing community a bit more. And then next to the book, I thought of like, okay, what can I do with this book? Can I just publish it and sell it, or maybe I should do something mm. uh, with it? And then um, I was supposed to do an exhibition last year at the at the surfing um, uh, surfing festival here in the Netherlands, uh, but of course due to COVID, it all got cancelled, and we were not allowed to have festivals. And um, the one thing that went through last summer uh, were surf camps along the European mm. coast. And then I thought, maybe maybe that's where I can build my own kind of audience and, mm. and use that audience um so i came up with the idea of making a book tour um along the european coast and um yeah go to several surf camps and go there with my book but also make it a little bit more interesting to people so i also made a small sensory movie to show them and an exhibition with photos um so that people kind of can get into uh, the sensory experience of, of being in the water of, of Rainbow Bay in, in Australia. Hmm. Beautiful. So you're going to, uh, you're going to set up a tent, I think I saw, and then put video and then audio and yeah, that's a great, I love that idea. And I was yeah, looking also, at your, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Yeah. I also want to kind of use it as a conversation starter, like what we yeah. do now talking about this idea of seeing the land. That's what I also would love to do with mm. people coming to the exhibition. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I was looking at your, the tour dates, great play, great, great choices, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time surfing in that area, the massage area and, and whole the Southern coast of France. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, into northern Spain, and I think it's a it's just a wonderful way to share your story and to also um, 
have time to surf in those great places. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's awesome. And what I saw you didn't go into Portugal. Was it just too much to, yeah. I think for this summer it was too much. Like I had six weeks um, yeah. before I go back to teaching anthropology at the university again. And um, yeah, for now I thought let's let's just see how far I get. And yeah. I thought let's start with France, see what I can also go into Spain. And then after that my uh, agenda was already quite packed. And I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And maybe next summer I can go to Portugal or even Morocco. That would be amazing. Yeah. Awesome. And have you surfed in that area of Southern France? Have you yes. been down there already? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been yeah. there many summers. Like most of the time my summer is spending in France and Spain and yeah. uh, just being on a road trip somewhere in that area. So nice. I know the most of the spots I'm going to this summer. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to just be near the coast for a while. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Being in Holland, you're like, yeah, ready to go. And are, and are things, I guess you're, you're doing the tour, so things are have opened up in Europe. Um, um, yeah, more just or less. lately. More yeah. or less, just lately. It looks as if we are good to go. Um, if everything goes as planned, I'm leaving this Friday, so that's in two days. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm busy with the preparations for everything, but it looks good right now. Um, and I don't really want to hear anything else if I'm honest. Right. I just want to yeah. leave the country and go and uh, yeah. hope that I can visit all these places and um, that it will stay the way it is right now. Yeah. Um, and you're are you driving from Holland or are you... Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I have a car and the surfboard just go on my roof. And then okay. the back of my car will be with filled with some books and the installation. And um, yeah, I'll just be living out of my car for a while. Uh, the van life. <laughs> kind of, but I don't have yeah. a van. It's more a car. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. the car life. Then. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And how far... Um, so France, you're going. So how, like, how long of a drive is that for you? Um, I think the first part from here to France will be twelve hours. Um, but I'm very lucky to have a friend that is coming with me. Um, so we yeah. can drive together, which is awesome. I think kind of nice. Yeah. But then once I'm in France and Spain, it's not that far away from each other. Yeah. It's like I think the longest I have to drive is like two hours from one spot to the other. Um, so I think that's very doable. Yeah. Very cool. And what, what kind of surfboard are you taking or what, what's your go-to surfboard? Um, longboard, well, shortboard. I love longboarding, so I'm definitely going to bring my longboards. And okay. I just lately, uh, bought a smaller board, like a five, seven, which I'm still trying to get to used nice. to um but when i was in australia i had a mini a mini mile a 6.6 .6, which i really loved because yeah it was like surfing a longboard but then it was a bit smaller <laughs> yeah a 6.6 six, um, six, six, six foot six inches yeah, yeah yeah it's uh from a friend of mine who shaped it um so yeah i i'm I want to go more into longboarding. That's why I'm definitely bringing my longboard. And I 
Um, yeah, I want to learn to surf my 5.7, the smaller board I just bought. So I hope I will have time to do so and that the waves will be good to do so this summer. Oh, I'm sure they will. They'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love those beaches. It's all, you know, probably your short board is going to be your go-to board and the, you know, the beach breaks and I that know. sort of thing. So yeah, I know. But it's yeah. It's just that in, in Australia as well, most of the time I will have to like this mellow longboard wave. So that's when I really got into it and I started loving longboarding. Um, so I hope I will also find some, some nice longboard waves as well, because I think that's my preference. If I can choose, yeah. I will go for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. I won't hold that against you. That's okay. okay <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> so I just have a couple more questions. Um, what yes, was your very it. first surfboard? Oh my God. I don't even hmm. know. I think it was, uh, 8.2 or something. Okay. That's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have it anymore. You don't have it, it anymore, like, but. No, I don't have it anymore. I think I How did you it get it? Like, what's the story behind your first surfboard? How, you know, how did it all go well, down? Yeah. Maybe I have to go a bit further back then because okay. I grew up in Switzerland and I mm. first had a passion for snowboarding. Well, I still have it. I think it's maybe even a bigger passion than surfing because I grew up with it. So I, I grew up in, in, in the mountains in Switzerland where I could go snowboarding every, every weekend in winter. And then I moved to the Netherlands, the flattest country on earth. <laughs> and people called me crazy. And I think I called myself crazy as well because I couldn't snowboard anymore. Hmm. And then I had to come up with something similar and um yeah i got into surfing uh here and of course the waves here in the netherlands are not that great but yeah it was kind of um yeah it kind of helped me to get over not being able mm. to to snowboard and then uh we would just go every now and then to the ocean and we would like rent a surfboard um and after that i really started loving it and i thought i need my own and then mm. I think a friend of a friend who already surfed uh, a, a little longer, she had her old surfboard. It was like a really old one, like not beautiful at all. But she said, yeah, well, if you want, you can have it. And then you can go to the ocean even more often. And I just um, bought it from her. Mm. And uh, it was a really ugly, big board. But it, yeah, it, it was nice for in the beginning. Exactly what you needed. Did you remember exactly. the brand of the board? Remember the name of it? I think it was a Bic. Bic, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Very cool. But, yeah. So that's the story of my first okay. one. Okay. Um, and can you remember one wave? Like you're like, that's the best wave I've ever caught. Well, I think that was in Australia. That was definitely okay. not here in the Netherlands because yeah. here in the Netherlands, <laughs> the waves are... Well, I think Australians wouldn't even call it waves, but we do here because we don't have anything else. But I remember when I was in Australia, we were uh, on a little road trip. I don't exactly know where we were, actually. Mm. And um, there was like this uncrowded beach. There were, I think, maybe only two or three surfers in the water. And compared to Snapper Rocks, where we surf normally, that was like heaven on earth. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, we, we slept in the car that night and then we got up early in the morning and it was beautiful and uh, the water was very blue and the sun just came up. And then we went out and the waves were just perfect for me. They were not too big, but there was a lot of power in them. And um, I think that was my biggest wave I ever mm. surfed or the biggest, also the best wave I ever surfed. It was just everything together, not only like the wave itself, but also the whole thing around mm. it, like being in this uncrowded wave somewhere in Australia. I don't even know where. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I think for a girl from Europe, that was a dream coming through. <laughs> yeah. And what what do you think your favorite trip was? Would you say your Australian trip? Or is there another trip that kind of stands out? Mm, I think um, looking at the surf I got, yes, definitely mm. Australia. Because I never had such a high quality of waves before. But then I also remember like two or three years ago, I think um, I went with some friends. I think we were like four girls of us. We had a van because one of the girls had a van and we were just on the road for the whole summer in what I said, like France and Spain. And we just went where the waves were and we had yeah. a very nice time. So I think that trip, mm. Uh, mm. like socially seen, that was very nice. But then... Yeah, looking at the waves I got in Australia, I would say Australia was better. <laughs> yeah, there's there are good waves in Europe. I mean, for people that you know, many Americans or some Americans obviously have been there, but it's not it's not really a surf destination for Americans. You know, they go to Mexico or Bali, Indonesia. Or, but I I totally I just love surfing there. So I think it's just. It's just a consistency, you know, that yeah. you just need to know when you have to be where. Yeah. Whereas in other places, I think the consistency of good waves is a bit higher. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to find your book, where can they find it? Well, you can find it on my website. Okay. And there you get a link to um, my webshop for the book. Great. Um, my website is just very easy, easycurelenting.com. And then you will find uh, my project Seeing the Land, where you can also find the book. And you also see some other stuff I wrote and did, uh, which is in the field of anthropology and art. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so that's the the place to go. Great. And we'll put links to all, all of those things in the show notes. Uh, and then you also have an Instagram page. Yes, definitely. Is, yeah. It's a bit small right now because I haven't been on tour yet, but yeah. I'm going to share the whole tour on Instagram which is also linked to the website. So, um, yeah, if you're interested to to follow the journey, um, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Great. So if you're in Europe or if you're going to Europe and you'll be in southern France, please stop by and say hello to to you at any moment and see more. I would more. love that. I yeah. would love that. Yeah, that would be, be amazing. Great. And um, let's keep the conversation uh, going. Absolutely. I would love to keep this anthropological analysis of, of surfing going for sure. I just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a joy to have you here. Yeah, I wish I could do the same research in different parts of the world, you know, because yeah. I think every, every land is different. And therefore, it is mm. kind of seeing the land perspective would be different in mm. uh, all kinds of places on the world. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe that's something I can do in the, might in be, the future. Might be in your future. California next. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful Thank you trip. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Saltwater High. Please take a moment and go leave us a review on your favorite podcast network. We'd really appreciate it and it would help spread the stoke. Also, one last reminder, go to wavetribe.com for surf gear, surf travel articles, and lots of other stoke. See you guys. See you in the water. Peace out.